Please, um, if you do have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 8. And whilst we just turn there, just want to once again say, um, you know, we, Abby and I, and the kids, we are always so encouraged and refreshed whenever we come back uh, to our home church, our sending church, uh, Grace Baptist Church Wood Green, and uh, we just praise God for you guys um, and the work here. So um, just want to say thank you for that. Romans 8, chapter, yeah, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 11. Now if we're there, then I'll just begin to read. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Well, let's turn to God once more before we uh, begin. Gracious God, we praise you so much for your word to us. Uh, we thank you for the wonderful realities of uh, the gospel, uh, your work in our lives uh, through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we are justified and your spirit uh, who is at work in us and will complete the work in us. And Father, as we uh, come to your word this morning, as we open it together, uh, Father, would your spirit that caused these words to be written uh, work powerfully in our hearts and minds uh, to receive your word with humility and Father, that uh, our very uh, lives, our uh, worldviews would be changed to conformity with uh, your word and that we'd be more like your son. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, let's begin on a really personal note this morning. Um, here's a question for you. Um, are there ways in which you are wrestling with sin in your life? Are there areas of your life in which you are wrestling with sin. Now, think about that for a moment uh, before you give an answer. You don't have to give a verbal answer. 
But I suspect that um, for most of us in this room, the answer will be yes. In fact, I'd suggest that um, if there are some of us who can't place our finger on an area of our lives in which we are battling or wrestling with sin, then I think the best case scenario is that we are living in ignorance of sin in our lives. The worst case scenario is that we are living in complete and utter denial of it. Christians sin. Okay, another question. Uh, have you ever thought about death? Uh, perhaps uh, when you experience or hear about others who experience illness, or when you hear about um, somebody else who passes away. Um, I'm aware that uh, Ryan was supporting someone who passed away recently. Uh, all of us, uh, all of us Christians uh, in this room, uh, not only sin, but all of us one day will someday experience death if Jesus doesn't come first. Well, uh, we've probably all uh, in this room spared a moment or two in our lives thinking about when that day finally does come around. Christians experience sin and experience death. Well, it's uh, the Christian experience of uh, sin and death that this passage today we're looking at is really addressing. Well, uh, we've landed bang in the middle of Paul's letter to the Romans, where he's been giving uh, really what is the most detailed explanation of his gospel. Uh, the gospel in which God's righteousness is revealed. First of all, it's, it's revealed through his righteous wrath on sinners. And secondly, it's revealed through his righteous justification of sinners. And the goal of this gospel is to bring righteousness amongst the nations. Or in other words, uh, to bring the nations into the obedience of the faith. Well, um, this goal of the gospel um, will only happen if people like uh, the Roman Christians or Christians like us are, first of all, confident in the gospel. And second of all, if we will get behind the mission of the gospel, uh, which is to take its further field. Uh, Paul was uh, speaking to Christians who he was hoping would support him to take it to Spain, what was really considered the ends of the earth in that time. Well, they first need to be confident in the gospel. Well, uh, the fact that we experience sin and death um, really raises all sorts of questions uh, for us about um, the gospel and the validity of the gospel and the truthfulness of the gospel. Uh, it raises questions that might just threaten that confidence in the gospel. Well, let me explain. Uh, Romans has, been, uh, has made it clear that Christians have wonderfully been justified. We have been declared right with God through faith in Jesus. And so we live the, the justified life, if you like. We have been freed from something, and we have been freed for something. So we have been uh, freed from the tyranny of sin and death, or as verse 2 puts it in our passage, uh, the law of sin and death. And we have been freed for a new master. We have been freed for our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been freed for a life of righteousness. In fact, um, the very heart of the Christian gospel, the very heart of the gospel is the message that uh, Jesus has died and he has risen from the grave 
and that in doing so, he has defeated uh, these very enemies, death and sin, sin and death. Well, isn't it so perplexing that Christians still experience sin and death? That's what Paul is dealing with here today. Uh, the question is, if sin and death are still present in our lives, look at verse 2, the, the two things that are in view here, if they are consistent, they are persistent in our lives, well, what does this mean for Christians who have been justified, uh, supposedly freed? Are we truly free? It may, have, it may not have looked that way uh, to Christians who were, one of all, first of all, experiencing sin, but second of all, seeing their fellow believers passing away. Uh, chapter 7, uh, what previous, what was directly before this, uh, shows us that Christians still wrestle with sin. Look at uh, verse 17 here in this chapter, in chapter 8. Uh, Paul it anticipates that Christians will experience suffering. Well, jump ahead once more. Verse 35, uh, we will not just experience suffering. Perhaps uh, some Christians will experience death. Paul has um, already said that uh, death is the result of sin and condemnation, both of which the gospel frees us from. And so as we uh, consider that, uh, the big question, both for Christians then and now, must have been, well, well hang on. What assurance does the gospel give us that we are truly free? What assurance does the gospel give us? Um, what assurance do we have that everything from chapters 5 through 8 in Romans, uh, what it means to be people who are justified, what assurance does uh, the gospel give us that those things have really happened to us? Or to, to really put it in a simple way, how do we know that God is going to deliver on his big gospel promises? to us. Well, that's what this chapter is helping us with. And it uh, really starts with those wonderful words, doesn't it? Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. And look at the end of the passage. It ends on a really high note with there being no separation from the love of God. No condemnation, no separation. Uh, we could really say that um, this chapter is all about the assurance of the gospel. The assurance of the gospel. Well, I don't know about you, but I think assurance is something we need every now and then. Uh, assurance is something we need in the face of everything we experience in this life that threatens our confidence in the gospel. So what assurance does the, the gospel give us that uh, he, God will deliver on his big promises despite our sin and death? Well, first of all, Paul tells us that we have assurance because Christ has fulfilled the law in us. So if you're not familiar with um, the book of Romans or what Paul has been saying so far, um, here's kind of a, a previously in Romans. Um, it began with us as convicts. We were charged with the capital offense of high treason. Every one of us have rebelled against God and we were therefore utterly condemned. Uh, together with the rest of sin, sinful humanity, we were on death row. Uh, the one leading us to our execution was our sin. Uh, there is nothing uh, that we could have done 
to get ourselves out of this situation. We couldn't have prevented this situation. Uh, even depending on God's law, certainly couldn't fix it. In fact, it was our inability to keep God's law that put us here in the first place. So as good and holy as God's law is, rather like a, a mirror that shows us what we're truly like, uh, it shows us compellingly uh, what's and all what we're like. And what does it show us? It shows us how utterly sinful we are. And so it condemned us before God. We became convicted criminal, convicts on the basis of God's law. Well, what's the punishment for lawbreakers? The punishment is death. We were in a utterly hopeless situation. Well, let's put our heads down back in our passage. Uh, look with me at verse 1. It begins with therefore. So looking back on everything that's Paul has said before, and on the basis that of everything that Paul has said before this, up until this point, let's say from uh, chapter 3, verse 21, uh, Paul is saying that that verdict of condemnation that hung over us has now been overturned. There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There will now be no execution taking place for those who have been united to Jesus through faith, by his spirit. If we belong to him, we are no longer on death row. Apart from Jesus, every single one of us in this room stood condemned. Now in him, if we are Christians in this room, we are free. We have been acquitted. More than that, we have been justified. We have been counted righteous by God. Well, what that means is that um, any case that is against us now is an utter sham. If you are familiar with uh, chapter 5, Paul showed us that uh, the opposite of our condemnation in Adam is our justification in Jesus. We experience um, the opposite of what we deserve if we are in Christ. We experience justification instead of condemnation. Undeserved grace instead of deserved judgment. Now, let's just think about this on a practical level. Um, it's not uncommon, is it? Um, for us as believers to experience a wrestle with guilt. We, we wrestle with our guilt, don't we? Uh, we wrestle with guilt as we wrestle with our sin and we wrestle with our weaknesses. Um, how often do we find ourselves replaying um, in our minds things that we've said or done? Uh, it's likely that in this week alone, uh, we have probably acted in ways that are not good and right. Ways that are unrighteous. Perhaps even in the car on the way here, we acted in ways that we are not proud of. Well, we probably all have a number of reasons to feel guilty, and yet uh, God has authoritatively slammed his gavel down, and he has made the declaration, the the, he's, pron he's pronounced that there is no condemnation for the Christian. The case against us has been thrown out. The case is dismissed. There is no condemnation. It's wonderful news that the gospel brings. Well, what happens when a convict is now suddenly acquitted? Well, they're freed, aren't they? So look at verse 2. Paul makes a connection between our, law, our, between our new verdict of having no condemnation and our new experience of having liberation. So let me read verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life 
has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So if you can imagine, the prison officer has arrived and he has come with an order for our immediate and effective release. Uh, Paul says that the law of the Spirit, or we could say uh, the power of the Spirit that leads to life has set us free. He has set us free from the power that leads to death. The power of sin that leads to death. Our chains have been removed. The cell door is flung open for our release. All the legal uh, documents, the papers have been processed. And we are now, now legally free. There is no condemnation, verse 1. Because look at verse 3. Something has happened in the background. Um, people have really been at work. Uh, God's legal department, perhaps, uh, God the Father and Son, has been at work. Something has happened on our behalf. Can you see it? Our sin has been condemned in the flesh of another. The wages of sin is death. And that punishment of death is the result of condemnation. And that punishment, Paul is saying, that punishment... Um, that's a punishment that Jesus, who, uh, look at verse 3, uh, it tells us he has come in real flesh, but without sin, Jesus has come and he has paid that for us on the cross. So Jesus has endured our condemnation and our punishment, demanding our immediate release. Uh, we did the crime, but Jesus really did the time for us. He has become our substitute. Um, if you're into sports, um, here's one for you. Um, he was subbed in to win the game that we couldn't win for ourselves. The law, what the law couldn't do, uh, look again at verse 3, because of our flesh, which is to justify, God has done through Jesus in his flesh. So for those of us who are united to him through faith by God's spirit, uh, look at verse 4, he has fulfilled in us the righteous requirements of the law. In other words, he has fulfilled in us what the law demands of us. Christian, as we come to this, it's very true and, and evident um, that our lives carry the marks of sin and death. And along with that, our lives carry some guilt, uh, some baggage with it. But our assurance rests on uh, pretty solid ground, doesn't it? Uh, our assurance didn't really come cheaply. Uh, no, on the contrary, it came at a really great cost. It's grounded on all the stuff in verses 3 and 4. Jesus died on the cross. In his flesh, our sin was condemned. I couldn't keep the law myself. Jesus kept it for me. But not only did uh, Jesus keep the law for me, he took my punishment that I deserve for failing to keep the law. Now, if we take any of that out, any of those components out, um, we have nothing secure to rest on. We have no confidence in the gospel. In Jesus, we have been set free. Now, um, this probably isn't stuff that's new to many of you in the room, but it's really important for us to know, and it's really important for us to be reminded of uh, frequently. Uh, Paul here isn't talking to Christians who are uh, totally ignorant of the gospel. He's going to make that clear later on in Romans. But it's really important for us to be reminded of because we can so easily, can't we, uh, be discouraged. 
particularly when we know we've gotten things wrong. Um, we can be discouraged when we fail morally. We can be discouraged when we fail to live up to the standards that God calls us to live. We can feel condemned. Well, Christian, um, did you know that um, God will never, ever demand that the price Jesus paid for us in be paid a second time? This should be a real encouragement to us. We may feel condemned um, sometimes, but the fact is that we're not. There is no condemnation. So uh, sometimes when we um, gather like we are now to hear God's word, or we sometimes have our private study, um, God's word challenges us, doesn't it? It challenges us uh, deeply. It gets underneath our skin, and it, it sometimes challenges aspects of our lives uh, where we truly need to be corrected and rebuked. Uh, perhaps sometimes we need discipline. We need to take those things very, very seriously. And yet, um, sometimes against our, our deepest desires to obey God's word, uh, we find ourselves, um, sometimes even within a matter of hours, uh, we find ourselves doing the very same things, uh, feeling the same things, uh, saying the same things, uh, thinking the same things that we were challenged about. The very same things um, that we resolved not to do again, that we resolved to turn away from. I suspect that um, every single one of us in this room have experienced something like this. Every single one of us in this room, I think if we're being honest, have reasons to feel guilty. And yet, uh, look at what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that every Christian in this room has every reason to be confident that we have no legal guilt. There is no condemnation. We have been freed from the penalty and the guilt of sin, even if we still experience sin in our lives, even if we still experience its presence. Now, the point is, if anything should rob us of our confidence in the gospel, well, what should our first instinct be? Look to the cross. There we find the grounds for our assurance. Christ has fulfilled the law in us. But Paul doesn't stop there. Uh, he's given the grounds for our assurance, but a new status leads to a new state. And so the second reason for assurance we have, point two, is that the Spirit is now fulfilling the law in us. So look together with me at verse four. Uh, let me read. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I don't know about you, but um, at the most significant points in my life, um, let's say university, uh, weddings, or wedding, married once, um, births, I've probably walked away with something uh, really, really significant, uh, something that uh, reminds me of that moment. Well, hopefully I haven't uh, forgotten any of those, lost any of those things. Um, unfortunately, I did lose my ring. Um, well... Paul tells us that at the most significant moment in our lives, when we were justified, uh, we walked away with, or as Paul puts it here, walked in, walk in the token of the Spirit. Uh, Christ has fulfilled the law in us, and we have received God's Spirit, which, 
plays a huge role in our lives from that point on. So there are two halves uh, to this in verse 4. Two halves of the same coin. Jesus has fulfilled the law in us. But at the same time, uh, the law is now being fulfilled in us as we live this new life in the Spirit. So let me show you how. Uh, Look at verse 9. Every Christian, Paul says, has received God's Spirit. You, Christians, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And his emphasis is on the fact that they have received the Spirit. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now, if you want to know what a Christian looks like, well, it looks like someone who has God's Spirit. It's the distinguishing mark. Or you might say, um, well, that doesn't really help us much, does it? Well, Paul helps us. Uh, Let's track back a bit. So look at verses 5 through 8. Paul shows us two kinds of lives, um, two ways to live. And uh, one way is according to the flesh. The other is according to the spirit. So those who live according to the flesh, um, that's how we used to live. Well, they want the things of the flesh. And what does that look like? Well, look at verses 7 and 8. It looks like a life characterized by hostility towards God. The mind of the flesh doesn't submit to God's law. It cannot submit to God's law. Cannot please God. Uh, Just think back to uh, what your life was like pre-conversion. Think about what your life was like before you became a Christian. And you'll probably recognize that um, Paul has written a very accurate biography of what you were like then. Well, the opposite is true for us now. Uh, The opposite is true if we now have God's Spirit, if we are believers. We live lives that are distinguishable uh, through the Spirit. We are now uh, living lives in which the law is being fulfilled through us. We desire the things of the Spirit. In other words, uh, look back at verses 7 and 8 again. By the power of the Spirit in our lives, uh, we are no longer characterized by hostility towards God. We do submit to God's law. We can submit to God's law. We can, by God's Spirit, begin to live lives that please God. We have a new state or a new state of mind brought about by this new status we have. Now, um, don't hear me wrong, Christian. This doesn't say that we we won't sin. Uh, That's already been made clear. Uh, We have been freed from the condemnation of sin. Uh, We've been freed from the penalty of sin. We've been freed from its power. But that doesn't mean we uh, we don't still experience sin in our lives. We don't experience its presence. Well, even so, uh, doesn't this give us huge reasons for assurance. Although we still have indwelling sin, we are now indwelt by God's Spirit, which means that we can uh, live lives that reflect increasing submission to God. It's great news. It's wonderful news. This is, um, if you put your Old Testament hats on, this is what Old Testament prophets were looking forward to. These things that we are experiencing firsthand Uh, Peter talks about them uh, searching into these things, these things that we have experienced. Well, we see this uh, in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, and they say things like, um, God would perform a surgery on us. He would give us a sort of heart transplant, 
putting his law in our hearts and in our minds. He put us, his spirit in us so that we'd uh, begin to uh, obey him, submit to God's law. Well, we have huge assurance as we look at our lives now. What God is doing in our lives now is a big indicator that God is fulfilling his big gospel promises for you. Christian, uh, you can be certain about that as you watch, look out for his overall work in your life, the way he has changed and transformed you. Um, we can be very dis discouraged by our experiences, uh, once again, and it's so, easily, it's so easy to feel that way. Um, and I think some of the reason is because we kind of overlook the overall work that God is doing in our lives. We kind of downplay uh, the overall work that God is doing in our lives. Um, we, we tend to focus on one area in which we have wrestled and we are discouraged, and yet we don't see the bigger picture. God is working remarkably in us. Uh, think about what you were like last year. If you're a new Christian, think about what you were like last week. Think about uh, the testimony you gave before you were baptized. Your life is uh, definitely not the same. Well, if, God is, uh, if we have God's spirit, he is delivering on his big gospel promises, and we will be able to see it in our lives. Uh, we should be able to identify areas in our lives where, uh, yes, we are wrestling with sin, but if Paul is right here, what he's saying is that we should be able to identify tons of areas in which we see huge gospel encouragements because we are seeing transformation. We are seeing God working in us. We are becoming more like his son. It's a huge assurance. We have uh, huge reasons for assurance because the Spirit is fulfilling God's law in us. Now, that doesn't mean we have no part to play. Uh, we do have a part to play in this. Uh, but we are playing a part, our part entirely in the power of God's Spirit. Uh, re remember, we do have no, no condemnation, but we do have an obligation. So look at verse 12 and 13. We have no obligation to the flesh, but we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh. So uh, let's think about it this way. Um, God has put a bounty on sin's head. And the moment we see sin raise its ugly head in, its li in our lives, we are to shoot for kill. We are to shoot on sight. Uh, the moment you see uh, movement, shoot for kill. Don't give um, sin uh, the room, the opportunity. Uh, don't provide the circumstances for sin to thrive and flourish in your life. Uh, we are to put to death, that is our obligation, sin in our lives. Uh, don't flirt with it. Um, don't say, for example, if you are uh, yet to be married, that you are going to uh, perhaps put yourself in a situation where you will fail morally. Don't, um, in hard circumstances, say it's okay, I'm just going to tell this one, one white lie. These kinds of things snowball. Don't allow uh, sin, uh, the sinful nature in us, to flourish. Don't be relaxed about it. Christians are to be on the offensive. Um, 
many of us know John Owen, a famous theologian. He once said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It's a kind of um, kill or be killed scenario. Uh, kill sin or ki- sin will eventually drain the life out of you. Now, many of us will know some of this from my experience. Uh, times when we have failed uh, to be vig- vigilant and we have suffered for it somewhere down the line. Well, that's our obligation, but this obligation doesn't take away from our assurance. Uh, to pa- the power to do this comes from the spirits uh, given to believers who have already been justified. Now, just look at the passage, and I, I really hope you noticed uh, the promise that runs right through this passage. Uh, it's subtle, but let's not miss it. It's the promise of life. So, verse 2, the law of the spirit of life, or the law of the spirit that leads to life. Verse 6, the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Verse 13, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, this brings us to our our final point, um, our final big reason for assurance, which is that the spirit will fulfill the goal of the law in our bodies. So we have uh, seen all sorts of reasons for huge gospel assurances. And yet, um, what about the fact that we die? Um, we've been, we, we, we're confronted with the reality of death every day, aren't we? In our everyday lives, when we flick on the news or we open a newspaper, or we hear about an old school friend uh, who has passed on, or we lose loved ones. Um, we're kind of you know, reminded of the reality of, of death when we experience death and decay in our bodies, don't we? Um, we wake up one morning and we uh, see something on our bodies that shouldn't be there. It wasn't there yesterday. Um, and it all kinds of, kind of reminds us of where we're all one day heading to. We're all one day heading to the grave. Well, Paul, uh, if Paul was to stop there, was to stop in verse 9, um, it would be okay. We'd have assurance for this life, um, but what good would that be for the next? What about the fact that we die? Well, thankfully, Paul doesn't stop there. He isn't short-sighted about um, the promises the gospel makes to us. And so look at verses 10 and 11. The assurance that uh, the Spirit gives us stretches um, far beyond our experience now. It stretches far beyond what he's doing in our lives at this moment. For Christians who are um, pretty much doomed to die like everybody else, we have um, a wonderful assurance that the Spirit will uh, work in our mortal bodies in the future. Paul said in chapter 7 that the law promised life, but instead we received death. Why? Because of sin. Well, here he says, uh, in Christ, although we die, because the law has been fulfilled in us by Christ on the cross, because the law is being fulfilled in us by the Spirit, the Spirit will one day raise us to new life. So look at verse 11. Um, He repeats himself twice to make himself blindingly clear. That if uh, God's Spirit, who we have been given, raised Jesus from the dead, he will certainly also raise us from the dead too one day. Christian, um, 
this is wonderful news. Uh, we can look back to the cross. We can look to the resurrection and find assurance there. Um, we can look to the Spirit's work in our lives now, and we can uh, see all sorts of assurances there. But we can also look to our future beyond the grave and find assurance there too, as we wrestle with uh, the perplexity of sin and death in our lives. And these, no matter which direction we look, back, present, future, we see that God will deliver on his big gospel promises. We can look forward with assurance. We have assurance because uh, we know for certain that the goal of the law will be fulfilled by the Spirit in our bodies. Well, uh, look, Christian, as I conclude, um, we ought to walk away from this today, not uh, thinking we've gained some knowledge or uh, we've just heard some stuff, but we ought to walk out of here with our heads up, our chests out, having great com com uh, confidence in the promises of the gospel. Now, it's very true uh, that our uh, real-life experiences of sin and decay can be incredibly hard to live with at times. There's no denying that. But Christian, we can um, be absolutely confident that we have been set free from the power of sin and death. And therefore, uh, there will one day be a day, and it will come like a dream, where we will be completely and finally set free from its effects in our lives. We can count on that day because of what Jesus has done, what the Spirit is doing, and what the Spirit will do. It's outside of ourselves. If you're deeply unsure about um, where you stand because of sin and decay and death, well, this ought to be wonderfully assuring. It ought to uh, really cast away every fear and doubt. We do experience sin and death. There's no denying that. Uh, but wonderfully, we do experience huge assurances in the gospel we experience, we experience assurances that will um, endure and outlast our experiences now. God will deliver on his big gospel promises. Well, um, friend, if you're here and you're not a Christian, um, you couldn't say this is true of you. Uh, well, it's, that's right. Uh, these promises don't apply to you. There is condemnation for those who are outside of Christ Jesus. You are still on death row. The execution day still awaits. God will prove his righteousness in judging sinners. You will experience judgment beyond the grave. But listen, here's the great news. Uh, all these promises that we've been talking about, um, the great news is that they are readily and freely available to you. Um, not because they are cheap in any way. No, uh, they are freely available to you. They are uh, great promises because they are costly. It's only the uh, sending of God's Son, Jesus fulfilling the law for sinners, dying, being executed for sinners, giving his spirit to sinners that could reveal God's righteousness in justifying and welcoming and embracing sinners. That's a very costly price. And yet God delighted to do that, that you might come to him through his son. In Jesus, you are sheltered from God's wrath, his righteous wrath that will be poured out and you will be a recipient of his mercy. This today is an invitation for you. Well, as I draw to a close, here's a concluding statement. Christians have assurance 
that the gospel's promises will endure despite sin and death because of what Christ has done, what the Spirit is doing and will do in the future. Now, I did want to just add something at the end. And so please briefly, just very, very briefly, just jump with me to the end of this chapter. I don't know if you're very familiar with American sports, but uh, Paul kind of plays a head coach role, and he ends with this sort of team huddle. Or you could just imagine it's halftime, all hands go in, as he gives his final big pep talk to the team before they head out to the field. And he's talking to a team that really stands to be discouraged by what they are going to face on the field. So look at verse 37. It's a huddle. He shouts, if God is for us, who can be against us? And the team shout back, no one. These are rhetorical questions, and that's supposed to be the response. And he shouts again, he gave his only son. Will he not, along with him, graciously give us all things? And the team shout back, yes. And Paul shouts, verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Well, you can imagine it gets a little bit louder, and they shout, no one. Paul says, yes, it's God who, it's God who justifies. Verse 40, 34, Paul shouts, who is to condemn? The answer again, no one. Yes, Christ has died for your sin. He is risen. He is your advocate. He is interceding for you. Lastly, uh, Paul shouts, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Well, we all know the answer. They shout, nothing. And Paul ends with these words. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor, present, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, just imagine the final response as they head out to the field. They erupt with shouts of confidence. Well, I'm not expecting any of us to erupt in shouting here today. But the expectation is that as we walk out into the field, as we walk out those doors, we would walk out confident in the gospel. God will deliver on his big gospel promises. Let me pray. Father, we praise you that you are just and righteous. Father, we praise you that you are both just and justifier of sinners. And we thank you for uh, everything that we have experienced, the truths of the gospel, that um, we now experience no condemnation in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, not because of what we have done, uh, not because of anything on our own merit, purely because of your work uh, in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that uh, our punishment, our condemnation uh, has been poured out 
uh, has been absorbed by him on our behalf. We praise you for the Spirit's work in our lives. And we praise you for uh, the wonderful future hope that we have, that uh, in our mortal bodies, we will experience the fullness of your promises. And Father, as we wait for that, we do pray that despite everything we experience that uh, discourages us, causes us, causes us to feel condemned, causes us uh, to feel uh, so desperately uh, weak and vulnerable, Father, we do pray that uh, you would cause us uh, to turn to the cross, uh, to turn to those assurances, uh, to know that you are working powerfully on our behalf. There is nothing, no one, no, nothing that can condemn us, that can separate us from your love. There is no condemnation, no separation. And so, Father, as we uh, go out today and in this week, Father, would you cause us to go with our heads held high, chest high, confidence, not in ourselves, but in the gospel. You will deliver in your big gospel promises. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.